0: So let's look in the Scripture, first to the book of Hebrews, because in the last couple of services, we've spoken about the race that God has called us to. It's a good race, and He's enabled you to run it, and He's enabled you to run it to win. But As we've said before, it's not an individual race. We have an individual part in a race, but it is a race which we have joined together through all of history, with men and women of faith, all the way back to Adam, Eve, Abraham. We are running the same race. We're just on that final leg. And it's an exciting part to run. If you recall, uh, there was a time when Canada actually had a good relay team. Remember that? (laughs) Think back. Donovan Bailey, Bruni, Surin. You remember these days? And uh, boy, I remember winning that gold medal... Like I won it. <laughs> That's the way we talk, right? We won it. We trained hard uh, doing our remote and everything like that. And we won this, this medal. I remember that, that joy because Canada has not always been a powerhouse in the summer games. And it was kind of cool to win the big event, the 100 meter and the 100 meter relay, or the 400 meter relay. So we were pretty thrilled about that. And I remember it always stuck with me. Uh, the, the leg of the race, the fourth leg that Donovan Bailey ran, and he just burned the rest of the competition. And as he run, ran that, they called it something as they announced it. They called it the glory runner. That last runner who ran the final leg, that was the glory runner. And I've always thought of that. This is the part, thank God, not by our own doing, but somehow we got born in this time. God chose us for this time where we can run the, be the glory runners and run the final leg of the race, and that's pretty cool. And so Hebrews 12 talks about that race, and we're not actually reading the part about the race this time, but we're going to pick up right after he finishes talking about running the race and the cloud of witnesses that watch us run, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher, perfecter of our faith. Then he talks about discipline, which is fun. I like the race part. But you know every runner that runs a race has got to train, Right? Every runner that runs a race has got a good coach behind him, And so discipline is, is, is the Lord's way of making you a faster, better, healthier runner. And he disciplines us, which means he makes us like disciples. In fact, the word discipline comes from, uh, comes from the word for child in the, in the original language. And it's, it's the way a child is trained, the way a child is raised up. And uh, when he talks about, he says uh, that, that God is disciplining us, and in fact... He says, no discipline is pleasurable at the moment. When it first happens, you're not like, oh, this feels so good. You hopefully get to that point. But there's a moment of, oh, I thought I was doing it all right. But God, in His love and in His mercy, says, you can always run faster. And I'm going to show you how. And we're going to cut the fat out. And we're going to cut the weights off. Because for some reason, you've been running with ankle weights in competition." And that's a silly thing to do. So we're going we're gonna to take those things off. And of course, you know the scripture where he says, letting go of every weight and sin which so in- easily entangles us. Do you know, sin is one thing you've got to let go of, but you also got to let go of weights that aren't even sinful. But they'll slow you down. If they slow you down, it's not worth it. So we want to run to win. So he talks about discipline. He says the Father disciplines us. He disciplines us as his sons, not as slaves, not as enemies as sons so that's the love of a father and in fact when he talks about training that's the same training that you'd see athletes train for the race and that's what he's doing he's training us for the race he's helping us to run the best race we could ever run and this is a good thing correction is a good thing correction means to make straight again something that's Messed up, something that's broken. Correction is a wonderful thing. And the Proverbs say, a wise man, he loves correction. If you're wise, you actually love correction. And here's what the Scripture says. At the end of that, of chapter 12, He says, in verse 12 of chapter 12, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Another way to say this is strengthen the hands that hang down and the knees that are not only feeble, but that word f- that we u- translate to feeble could also be translated as paralyzed. It's the same word that we use for a paralytic. Either way, it's, it's something that's not working <laughs> Right? And he says strengthen lift up the hands that hang down strengthen these hands and the knees which are feeble and he says in verse 13 or sorry in the same, yeah verse 13 and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed Now consider this for a moment He's not really talking about just your hands, your knees, and your feet. He's talking about us as the body of Christ. About different members of that body. And He says, there are some members of the body that are weak. There are some that are feeble. And there's some that if you don't make straight paths for them, they'll be lame and put out a joint. But He says, here's the answer to that. Here's how you make a straight path. Here's how you make a straight path for, for other runners to run, for yourself to run, for the Lord to move in. He says, here's how you make that straight path. You pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification with it, without which none will see the Lord. Now, he says, pursue peace. He doesn't say, settle for peace. He doesn't say, lean towards it. He says, pursue it. Like, chase it. This same word is translated as persecute, like Paul persecuted the church. I'm not saying it says persecute peace. But that, that running after, that chasing, like, like someone would chase a fugitive, that's how you chase the peace that, you're, that we're looking for. This is how you run after the peace. And I'm not talking about the inner peace. Because Jesus did bring us that peace. I, but here He's talking about, He says, pursue peace with all men. We're not talking about Tranquility. We're not talking about a lack of inner trouble. We are talking about peace with the body of Christ. He says, pursue it, run after it. A lot of people will make peace if somebody apologizes good enough. They'll make peace if you offer them something. But here, he says, you actually chase it. Now this tells me that you got to chase it even when you're the one that was wronged. Even when they were the one that was in the wrong. You chase the peace because it's so important because it has to do with all of our race. Remember what I said before. You're not running this race alone, we run it together. And if one of us is put out of joint, we all get slowed down. And you know, God has called us to some pretty cool stuff in 2012, in 2013, and 2014. But if we're going to get there, you've got to move as a unit. You've got to move as one. And you've got to let every petty and even big disagreements and strife cease and just get get lost. Because if we don't, we get put out of joint. We need to make straight paths for people to run in. Make straight paths for them to... I mean, and this means that they're... I mean, think about it, guys. Look around you for a second. This isn't your normal social club. These are not the people you'd end up with naturally playing Scrabble on a Friday night. It's a pretty random group of people you'd think, right? The thing that brought us together was Jesus Christ. Some of us, some, of, some, some people born and raised in cities, some on farms, some on ranches, some of one race, some of another, some from one country, some from another, some young, some old, and we all got put in the same room Because God wanted us here. And the cool thing about it is that He's enabled us to live and function as a body and actually work. What other place would this random group of people from children to senior citizens actually work? From different cultures, from different classes, from different educational backgrounds, all get together and love each other and work. What other other place has that? God has brought us to this place. And He put us together. Now this also means, guys, not only are you going to have to adjust for people that think differently than you, you're going to have to adjust for people that are just plain socially awkward. And some people that are broken. Do you know people come broken to be healed? They don't come healed to show you how healed they are. When they come into the body of Christ, they usually come with issues and baggage. And you know, I grew up watching the movies that that always showed that there was this lonely little loser that nobody befriended, and finally somebody befriended them and found out they were the coolest person in the world, had this amazing talent, had a heart of gold, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, in reality, in life, that often that that... Not in every case, but often that person that has no friends, you try to befriend them and you find out why they have no friends. <laughs> you know, I'm looking for that heart of gold that's in there somewhere. Why do you hate me? I'm the nice guy. And God has enabled you to love that person without any love thrown back at you without any benefit to yourself, without any payoff at the end, just the fact that He loved me so I can love you. And so these people get thrown into the mix. You do not have perfect... Relay runner buddies that all train the same as you. We all came in with issues and baggage. And God puts us in a room and says, have fun. And you know, He's not sadistically watching us, seeing if we'll kill each other. He's empowering us and giving us His love and giving us His grace to walk in peace. And He's enabling us to do what we couldn't do in the world. Because in the world, we would have left a long time ago and found people that were more like us. In the world, we would have found a social club that's just the same. And we like the same stuff. And we listen to the same music. And we dress the same. And I feel comfortable. But in the church, God has brought such a diverse group of people together. And He says, now, you are one and there is no distinction. There's no distinction between you. Christ is all and Christ at all. Now, when that happens, you're going to have to overlook some things. Right? Right? Because there's going to be some people that say something weird to you and you just can't believe somebody would ever say that. Why would you say that out loud? Why would you say that? From time to time, I mean, not recently, but in the past years, there'll be messages on my machine. I go, I can't believe somebody actually said that. Why would you say that? <laughs> just s- not everybody's wired the same as you. And not everybody is wired Correctly. And, and you figure that out quickly. You're like, what? I don't know who you fit with. I don't know if it's anybody, but thank God we are called to fit together. And He brought you to me because He saw something in us. And He saw something working together. He saw something functioning that uh, maybe the rest of us just are befuddled and dumbfounded. And so these people God brings in. And you know, they, they don't have everything worked out. They don't have all their confessions straight. They don't have their love walk perfected. They don't they don't even I mean, they may well we don't even need to go into it, but they may just fall way below every standard you ever created for a human being. And somehow God comes in and causes something to work in this situation. And so sometimes those people are the biggest gift from God because they enable the love of God to be perfected in you. And they enable you to walk and be more Christ-like all the time. You know, we, uh, you figure out that uh, while some of us have been called, some of you have been called to, to live a single, pure life, the apostle paul says it's a very noble thing that you say i'm not going to be married i'm just going to serve the lord for the rest of us that are married you find out that marriage is one of god's greatest tools for making you christ-like because you because you have to learn how to love when it's not easy to love and how to and how to <laughs> pursue peace i've never had to learn that because my wife is perfect maybe you had to learn this Now my wife is amening in the office. I can hear her from here. (laughs) Because not everybody... I mean, this is the greatest thing. We learn how Jesus feels because all of a sudden you've got a great love for people that don't measure up. And one of the things in marriage is you find out you had an image of this person that really drastically changes because now you know them. And here's the greatest thing. You know them and you love them. You love them when they don't meet your standards. That's the grace of God. That's what Jesus does for us. He loved people that didn't measure up. And we step into the church from the body of Christ and find... That he's given us a grace to to work and to run and to function with people that should never be allowed out of their house. And we are able to work together. You know, you may think I don't like people, I love people. (laughs) I've met all these people in other places, never in Lloydminster, always provinces away. (laughs) <laughs> no, but some of, my, some of the greatest people in this, in this group right here did not always start out like they are right now. They got to that point. And the grace of God brought them to that point. You've got to see past who they are right now and to where they're going to be. And God is... And <laughs> dis, I mean, it may take them years to get there, but you still trust the Lord that they will get there. That even if they didn't get there, that's not your business. Your business is to love them as Jesus loves them. So he says, make straight paths. Because when these people come in, they're going to rub people the wrong way. There are going to be things that don't quite match your standards, but you make a straight path so that they can run. And we have different expectations for people. And we find in the church you have higher expectations of people. That's why it's easier to be offended because you've set a different level of expectation. You don't expect anything from people on the bus, but you expect a lot from people here. And so these people can offend you easier than the guy on the bus because you've set a different level. But the Bible says, here's the answer to that. Be fervent in your love for one another because love covers It covers a multitude of sins. What is sin? Missing the mark, right? Sin is missing the mark. So love covers a multitude of missed marks, of missed standards. When people miss your standard of what they should have said, what they should have done, how they should have reacted, how they should have treated you, how they should have greeted you, all of these things, when they miss that mark, love makes up the difference. And you treat them like they met every mark. That is the grace of God. He says, you've got to run after this peace. You know, there's about three or four, I believe four times in the New Testament that, that the term to pursue peace is mentioned. Or they're mentioned in the same sentence, pursue in peace. Because it is imperative that we don't just passively accept peace when it's offered, but we go after it. Now, I want to read you something from Colossians. If you'll turn there with me. We just always end up back there, don't we? In the book of Colossians chapter 3, of course you know the part where it says, "Which once you put on the new self, there's no distinction between each other anymore. There's no class difference, there's no race difference. We are all one in the Spirit. We're all part of Christ's body. So that leads us to say, like when James says in his, in his letter through the Holy Spirit, he says, if somebody comes in dressed nicely, you don't give them a front row seat because they're dressed nicely. He says, you just treat everybody the same. If a guy comes in in rags, you put him on the front row, just like you'd put the person dressed nicely. I don't care what they're going to give in the offering. I don't care whether they smell bad. You treat them with honor because they're in the image of God, and God has got a purpose in them. And in fact, he says, some of the people we don't think measure up, some of the people that are low in our society, God has made rich in faith. So you treat these people with honor and respect. Don't care what they dress like. Don't care what they smell like or how they speak. You treat them as Christ treats them. And so we've learned in Colossians 3 that all the distinctions fade away from the smelly barbaric Scythian to the high class Greek and the religious elite Jew. We are all alike. And we have, it, that doesn't just mean that we think it in theory. I believe in the New Testament. That means you sit down and you eat with each other. You pray with each other. You love each other. You laugh with each other. We don't just go to church together. We embrace the life that God called us to at the same time. And you're not just with these people on Sunday. God's called us to live as one. So there's contact. I know we don't live in the same neighborhood. I, I know that we don't all have access. But there should be a fellowship of the brethren. Here's what he says in Colossians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 12. So, as those who've been chosen of God, every one of us chosen of God. So, this begs the question how can you reject someone that God has chosen? How can you unchoose somebody that God has already chosen? You can't. Just like God said to Peter, He says, How, how can you call dirty what I've called clean? How can you call unclean what, have I, what I have cleansed? And here he says, those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Do you know how it says this in the King James? I don't know if, does anybody have the King James this morning? No. In the King James, oh, you do, buddy. You see what it says there? It's kind of cool. It says, bowels of mercy. Does that sound fun? (laughs) Have bowels of mercy. Because in the original language, it doesn't say heart, it says bowels, like the very inner part of you, full of mercy and compassion. I mean, you, it means feel it right on the inside, right from to the very core of who you are. That mercy. It says put on a heart of compassion, or as otherwise translated, bowels of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience that says you've got to put these things on they don't magically cling to you all the time you've got to choose them you've got to choose mercy you've got to choose compassion you've got to choose peace you've got to choose kindness humility gentleness and patience do you notice all of these wonderful wonderful words are directly related to other people right you don't have to have compassion on jesus you don't have to have patience with Jesus. You don't have to be gentle. You don't have to be, I mean, kind. you do have to be humble before the Lord. But all of these things are directly talking about how you relate to everybody else. Sometimes we think it's uh, to be holy is, is purely about how we interact with God. But here's what the scripture says just above this, that when we talk to each other, when we love each other, when we fellowship with one another we are fellowshipping with Jesus so how we treat each other is how we're treating God and so you can't separate your relationship with God to your relationship with people they're the same they're together if you're in his body they are one just like when you're married you I mean if you're going to love that person you're loving Jesus if you choose not to love that person you're denying Christ himself this is a mystery but it's true And so in the body of Christ, how we talk to one another is how we're talking to Jesus. How we're forgiving is how how He forgave us. And here's what He says. You've got to put on a heart of compassion. You've got to put on kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And He says this. Bearing with one another. Do you know what that means? To bear with somebody? That means that they're having... (laughs) They're, they're bringing you to the edge of something, isn't it? To bear something means to carry a weight, right? So bearing with somebody means they're putting weight on you. Do you ever have these relationships that are a weight on you? The people that are just a weight on your life. I'm not talking about bad influences. I'm talking about people that Jesus loves, but are just like you see the phone number and you go, I'm not here. I'm just not here. I never do that. Or maybe you do that. I don't have call display. No, I do have call <laughs> Now all of you are going, I had to leave a message once. <laughs> no, seriously, if we don't answer the phone, it's because we couldn't. But uh, there would be a time where I used to think this way. I used to look and go, oh, no, please, no. I don't have that right anymore. But there was a time. And uh, you know these people that you know God gave them to you. And you know God called you to pray for them. And you know for some reason, it's like when you're in third grade and you, they choose buddies for you. Like you have to help this, you guys have to stick together. And you're going, not them, not them, not them. Please God, not them. We had to learn to dance in fourth grade. And I was short. I say was because that's my past. I was one of the shorter, not the shortest, one of the shorter in my class. And I was always teamed with the same girl every time we had to learn to dance. Square dance, waltz, same girl because we were the same height. And our, I she was she was nice enough, but I did see some others that were just like same thing, they got paired with the same person and and it was just like a stake was being pierced through their heart. And it just this, not this person again. And you know, sometimes in school you'd be paired with this person, be buddied up with somebody, that you just felt like felt like it was the ancient Roman torture of binding a man to a corpse. Like, this is the worst thing you can do to me. How could you do this to me? This is gonna kill my social reputation. I have to go to their house after school and work on this volcano with baking soda and vinegar. And you made me do this, teacher. You've distro- Do you realize what you've done? You've destroyed me. You have destroyed my life. This is the way we... Perhaps I was more dramatic than you, but this is how we interacted. And sometimes, in the body of Christ, you it's like God did that to you. You ever wake up thinking about somebody and you know you're supposed to pray for them and you go, why them? Or you hear that Longing in your heart, call that person. You make them call me. No, no. You call them. Oh, gosh. All right. We have that, right? And that happens. Everybody's like, no. I guess that's happened to you. If that's never happened to you, maybe you're the person everybody looks at and says, I don't want to answer the phone. I'm just kidding. Now, maybe you're just a better person than I am. Here's the deal. God's calling us past this. So let's not glory in this because He's going to just lift us out of this. But there are times when you go, really? like I mean, you're not happy about who God placed you with. And here's the deal. He says you've got to bear with one another. That means there will be people that put weight on you. And God will enable you to carry that. Now, He's not going to let you carry it. He's going to carry it for you. But... What he's going to do is enable you to stay in that relationship, be a blessing in that relationship, without breaking it off because it's too inconvenient for you. He says this, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. If we stop there, that might be nice. But he says, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. That's a big statement. Here's why it's so big. Now, first of all, he doesn't say, whoever has done something wrong, you go and apologize. He says, you have a complaint. That means somebody did something bad to you, and here's Jesus putting it on you to make it right. Now, the world tells you, if you've wronged somebody, you make it right. Now, Jesus tells us that too. If we've wronged someone, we go and make it right. But here, he's talking to the people that got wronged, that should be offended, that should be angry. And he's saying, here's what happens. If you've got a complaint with anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And he says should. That's not like an advice like it'd be a good idea as a command from the king, from our master. Here's why. Because he puts it on this. As Christ forgave you, as the Lord forgave you, Something happened when you got saved. Here's what happened. You made a trade. You traded your sin for His righteousness. You traded your death for His life. You traded your, your everything for His everything. You traded your life for His life. And then, here's what you did. You traded all your rights, and you traded all your debts. You see... What you had were debts that you had committed. I mean, debts that you owed and debts that were owed you. Now, the balance sheet was not even. You owed way more than people owed you because you owed God. And you owed Him everything. You could never pay what you owed. And what Jesus did when He took, you, when he took your life is He took all your debts, He took all your accounts payable and all your accounts receivable. He took all the debts you owe and all the debts that were owed you and they all went to Him. And so here's the deal. Because He forgave you, this is, the, this is the, the rub. Because He forgave you of all your debts, He has the right of all the people that owed you and you don't have the right to not forgive them. Because now He took that right. You gave Him your rights. You don't have the right to not forgive you don't have the right to hold a grudge. You don't have a right to be bitter. Those aren't your rights anymore. You gave them up when you were forgiven with such a great salvation. When the mercy of God came and redeemed you, He forgave you of more than you could ever pay. And the deal was, you gave Him all of the debts that were owed you. And never again can you hold a debt over somebody's head. Because you've been forgiven so much. Jesus made that clear in the parable of the, of the servant that was forgiven, billions and billions of dollars. And then he goes and hassles a guy for just a little bit. And it's, you know, the master says, I'm going to forgive you of all of this debt that you could never pay. Then he goes and finds a guy who owes him a few bucks and says, Give me my money. And when he doesn't, he throws him in prison. The master calls him back and says, Didn't I forgive you of all that? What right do you have to hold that debt against that man? Now I'm going to throw you in prison. This is what Jesus says to us. You don't have those rights anymore. You don't have the right. This is what the world will teach you. You have the right to be angry and you should be angry. You have the right to be mad about that. No, you don't. Not anymore. You gave those rights up. It's gone. You can't afford that anymore. The world can. You can't. The reason the world can is they still got a huge debt that they owe. And it's not a pretty thing. And so when Jesus forgave us, he took it all. He took our debts and everything that would be owed to us. And he says, leave it to me. It's my job. And that's why the book of Romans says that we, we don't take revenge. We leave that to God. Why? Because he owns our debts now. He owns them. Remember, the Scripture says, Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So tied together with God forgiving you is you letting go of all the people that owed you something. That means for the rest of your life, you can't act like people owe you. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about those hidden little debts that we hold against people when they wrong us. And we put it in an account that they'll have to pay someday. You don't have those rights anymore. Those rights are gone. Thank God they're gone. Because it's not the best right. It seems like a good right. It's not. That old saying goes, I'm not sure who first said it, but the old saying goes, unforgiveness, walking in bitterness and unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to get sick. It's what it is doesn't do you any good but it makes your flesh feel good for a while that righteous anger that you feel i have the right to be mad except you don't and in first corinthians 13 it says love does never hold an account of wrongs suffered it doesn't ever keep track of something somebody did to you Instantly forgive. He's not saying He's not saying because Christ forgave you, you should forgive. He says as Christ forgave you. Which means without asking for anything in return, Christ forgave you. At great cost to Him, He forgave you. At great cost, His own life, He forgave you. The same way you forgive them. And you see this throughout the New Testament. You see these great apostles say things like, Like Stephen, like Paul. Don't hold it against their account. Paul said, put it on my account. Whatever they've done, put it on my account. That's the love of Jesus. It's the grace of God. Now listen to this. He says, beyond all these things, put on love. Put it on. Make an active decision to put love on. Because think about it, it's easy to love when everybody's treating you nicely. The times when you have to put it on is when everything screams, be angry, be bitter, hold this against them. But he says, put your love on. Put the love of Christ on. And he says this, put on love. Put on love which is the perfect bond of unity, of oneness. This is what God's called us to, unity. And he says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now we've used this, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. People have used this, and we've used this as, as, uh, you know, talking about how to make decisions. Well, don't make a decision until you feel that peace inside of you. That's a great thing, and there's other scriptures that will back that up. But in this scripture, that's not what it's talking about. He's not talking about that inner peace that helps you make decisions. He's talking about, because, I mean, you look at the context of what he's just said, when people wrong you, when people rub you wrong, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Rule means it calls the shots, it has authority over everything else. To rule, it is the boss. The peace of Christ will be the king in my heart. And I will not let myself fall into the trap that Satan has set for me to be offended, for me to be stumbling over this for me to trip over somebody's bad attitude or something that they said in the wrong way that does not matter the peace of christ rules in my heart to which indeed you were called now what are we called to he he doesn't say we're called to the body because we are but that's not what he's saying he says you were called to something in one body but what were you called to let's look at this let the peace of christ rule in your hearts To which indeed you were called. So we were called to the peace of Christ. We've been called to His peace. Now you've got to understand what peace means to Jesus. Peace does not mean a lack of war. Peace means binding as one together, holding perfect wholeness, no cracks, no fissures. This is peace. The peace of Christ is not the peace that we know. It's bigger, it's deeper. And he says, uh, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now that's cool. you've got to see what that peace means. When he says the peace of Christ, what is he talking about? Can I read you something from Ephesians 2? Brent says I can, so I will. (laughs) In Ephesians 2... He says in verse 11, of course, the first 10 verses of chapter 2 are amazing too. We've only got so much time. He says in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, that means, let me break that down, the Jews called you the Gentiles. You were not part of them, and there was a very real separation between the two of you. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise. Covenants, sorry, of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who, were formerly, who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is what the blood did. It brought those who were far near to God. But not just near to God. Because remember, he's talking about two separate groups. We were one group, they were another group. He's not just talking about God and man. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles who at this time, when he writes this letter, aren't always getting along. He says, you weren't the same group. Verse 14. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. In other words, the decrees against you that were rightfully decreed against you, the laws you had broken stood against you, and He put those on Himself And it says, so that in himself he may make the two into one man, one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having it put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have our access in one spirit. Now there's a lot said in these verses. Let's try to break it down as best we can. There were two groups. Now, often when we think of what Jesus did, the peace that he brought us, we think of God making peace between him and between man and God, right? Jesus bringing us those two together. But here, he talks about God being the peace, not between just man and God, but between two groups of people that didn't Associate that weren't together, that weren't one. You see, in fact, he says that before he says God reconciled us. So what does this mean? This means that in the same action that we were brought back to God, we were made one with each other. That Jesus' death was was about... Mainly, I mean, we, we talk about what was Jesus' death about. It was God was in Christ bringing the world back to Himself, right? But here it tells us that at the same time He brought us to Himself, He brought us into one body. Here's the deal. Here's how that affects your life. This affects your life because breaking up that body, disregarding that peace between each other is just as bad As insulting the peace between God and man. That Jesus died to bring all into one. And that's just as big a deal to him. We were all, when we were brought to God, we were brought to each other. That is a holy union. Do you know the scripture says in the Old Testament, and it's quoted by Jesus himself. God hates Now, there have been those, and even in our midst today, you say, well, I've been divorced before. You know, God has forgiven you just like He's forgiven everybody else. We know that, right? Thank God for it. But listen, divorce, we just think of a man and a woman getting divorced. What do you think it's like when two saints, three saints, four saints, two churches begin to fight and separate from one another? Isn't that kind of divorce itself? We may pin it all on A woman or a man that separated from their husband or wife. But maybe also when we choose to have strife where Christ has made peace. That itself is a form of divorce. And God hates it. Because here's what He loves. Unity. Oneness. And He brought us together. And when He put to death the enmity that we had with God. He put to death the enmity that we had with each other. And He brought us into one flesh. And listen to this. He says that we are being built together into a holy temple, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in this building that we all make up. Peter said that we are living stones put together into a building. This is huge. Because in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, Don't you know? That you are a temple. Now there are two times that he refers to the temple in 1 Corinthians. And the last time he refers to it, he's talking about your body as a temple for the Holy Spirit, right? He's talking about my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I, I treat this body like a sanctified body and I, I, uh, you know, I honor God with my body. But before that, he talks about us and he says, don't you, plural, know that you, plural, are a temple? Where the Holy Spirit dwells in. And he says this. Watch out. You do not want to bust that temple up. He says, you better not bust that temple up. He says, no one tears down what God has built. In Romans 14, they're arguing about what food they can eat. And he says, do not tear down the work of Christ. He says, so we... Listen, let me, let me read, quote two scriptures to you. He says, so we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. He says, don't tear down the work of Christ for a little food. What's he saying? Because you know, this food issue was like their big issue. This was their big fight. This was the big war that they were having. We can't eat this. And they were saying, yes, we can. No, you shouldn't. And Paul says, it's not worth tearing down the building of Christ for a little food. And whatever you think is worth tearing down what God has built, it's not worth it and you can't afford it. Nothing is worth the peace that He brought. Nothing is worth tearing us apart. We've got to pursue it. Run after it. Like Saul pursued Christians to throw them in jail. Like God pursued your heart. So we must pursue peace. Run after it. Chase it. And nothing, 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 nothing is worth throwing that away. Because Christ died to bring us peace. Not just between us and God, but between each other. And made us one whole body. And this is the thing. When we dwell as a body, when we live as a one building, the Holy Spirit dwells in that place. What does the Scripture say in the Psalms? Oh, how good and how blessed it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He says, for it is like the oil which dripped down from Aaron's beard. that there's, there the, He says, there the Lord commands a blessing, even life forevermore. Nothing is worth losing that. So what do we do? We make straight paths. We do everything we can. And listen, all the scriptures I read today, Speak about people doing wrong to you and you forgiving them. None of the scriptures we read today talk about you doing, try not to do something wrong to someone else. No, all of these say when people wrong you, not if they wrong you, but when they do, you forgive them just in the same manner that Christ forgave you. So listen, I'm not speaking to you as the offenders, I'm speaking to you as the potentially offended. You can't get offended. What is offended? In the New Testament, offended is synonymous with tripping, with stumbling. My wife and I have talked about this, that we talk about, you know, when you're upset about something. What does it mean to be upset? Think about what that word means. A boat is sailing steady. She's on course. And then the boat is upset. That's not good. So when you let yourself get upset about something... It gets you off your course. gets you off where God has put you, and that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. Don't fall for it. Don't let him do it. Pursue. Run after the peace. Pursue the things that build one another up. And say, Jesus died that we would be one. And I am not going to be the one that makes light of that. And, you know, the downside to this is that once you say, yes, Lord, work with me, work in me, peace, I am going to be an agent of peace. Then he does bring the weirdos to your house. <laughs> but you know, the greatest weirdos somehow through God's mercy and grace become the greatest testimonies and some of the greatest ministers. Thank God for that. Let him bring the outcast. Let him bring the, the socially awkward. Let him bring the meanies. The women who love to gossip. The men who love to start a fight. And you have to choose every day not to get drawn into their little battle. But fight for it. Let God fight for you. Let him stand here and keep your peace. That your peace would not be lost. That you would not stumble. That you would be able to walk in love. Because love is the bond of unity. And that's what we're talking about is your love walk, being able to stay in love, in the love of Christ. What does the scripture say? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves. That's when there's so many temptations to step out of it. Keep yourself. Now why do I say all this? Because, listen, we're talking about great things and moving forward and and the things that God's called us to this year. And the only way we're ever going to get there is one body. I had a conversation with Tim yesterday about how when someone runs a race, if you were to look at each body part individually, they're all doing weird different things. Not weird, but they're all doing different things. They all seem to be doing different tasks. And if you were to look at them individually, you'd say they're not doing the same thing. They're they're, They're not in agreement. They're not in unity. But when you are running... Your arms may be doing one thing. Your legs are doing one thing. Your heart's doing one thing. Your liver's doing another thing. Your ears are doing one thing. Your lungs are doing something. But they, while their tasks seem wildly unrelated, they are all focused on getting you to the same spot. And I don't believe that throwing a bunch of people against a wall and seeing what sticks. Just, just everybody do something, and maybe some things will work. But I believe that if we have one vision that God gave us, we see the vision and we take hold of his vision and we realize that each one of us has a very diverse part to play in that vision when you keep that vision maybe somebody's part is one thing and another person's part is totally different but they are all drawing you to the finish line and they're not trying to be the other body part they're just trying to be who God made them to be we run the race to win You know when someone runs a race? If you're running it in the, other, in the other competitor's country, do you know the fans are trying everything they can do to throw you off? You ever been to a hockey game where the visiting team is, is trying to play and the, and the home crowd just being obnoxious? Or basketball when they're trying to shoot the free throws and the home team's behind the net and they're waving those white little noodles and stuff trying to get them to miss the shot? That's what life is like. We're running the race and the enemy's trying to do everything but you know what does an athlete do? You press on. You press forward. It's not worth losing my cool over that fan. And we know through history every athlete that lost his cool because of a fan, it wasn't worth it. I'm a big soccer fan. And I remember when France and Italy were in the World Cup. Do you remember this? <laughs> I'm in Lloyd Minster. There's like three people, yep. <laughs> but it was the World Cup, so maybe some more people were watching. There was a great player called Zinedine Zidane, one of the best players of his time. I love watching Zinedine play. He seemed very calm. I mean, he could set people up. He's a midfielder. He could set people up for a perfect goal. This was his last game. And France could have won the World Cup and he was going to play on this team and his last game is going to be World Cup final. How much better could that be? Then one of those little slimy Italians <laughs> said to him, I'm just kidding, I don't care. One of those Italians said something about his mom or his sister, it never really got out. And Zinedine Zidane, who had already scored a goal and would have been instrumental in his team winning, lost his cool and he went and he headbutted that guy knocked him to the ground and got kicked out of the last game of his life and his team lost because they were down a man for the rest of the game not worth it the enemy will taunt you and throw insults that boil your blood and he knows where to hit he knows where you're wimpy he knows where your weak spots are but thank god god is able to strengthen the weak spots God is, a, is able to give you His armor which defends against every fiery daughter of the evil one. And no matter how much He... I mean, think about it. Sometimes He sends people to do bad things. Sometimes good people with good intentions, if you have the wrong attitude, even something they mean well, you take badly. None of it's worth it. Walk in peace. We will walk as one group. We will walk as one body. We will walk with one vision. And that's not just the word church. That's the church in general. That's the Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. And we ought to get along with every church and every member that really calls on the name of the Lord. We're all on the same team here. And the only way we're going to run the race to win is if we refuse to let strife have its way. And we let peace rule in our hearts. Amen?